Well, I just wanted to quickly introduce Gary. Uh, Gary Barrow and his wife Tina are with us today. We've had just a wonderful weekend with them, as Laura already shared. Uh, to try to give a little bit of his background is actually, we don't have enough time for that, but they have a rich um, uh, life of experience in the Lord. Uh, they're, they're from California, went up and helped uh, with the planning of churches in Oregon. The Lord called them on the mission field in Hungary uh, and around Europe. He ended up pastoring, planting and pastoring a church in Germany for 10 years, and there were other churches as well. Currently, he's overseeing and directing uh, at least four, I don't know if there's more now, but four Bible colleges uh, in uh, Asia. And uh, as a result of, of facilitating those uh, colleges, over 30 churches have already uh, been planted. So a lot, lot going on. He wouldn't, he wouldn't like that because it's not him. All of this, it's not him, it's not them, it's all Jesus. Uh, he wouldn't even like the way I presented that because he's just one of us. But I just want to let you know uh, that we're really blessed to have uh, both of them with us today. So, Gary, yeah. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Uh, John and Laura have just been spoiling us rotten. I like it. <laughs> just got to say. I get set here. So, um, yeah. Um, Tina and I, we've been missionaries for 15 years. Uh, well, 18 years. We, uh, like John said, we uh, were in Hungary five years. We were in Germany 10 years. And um, for the last three years, God's called us back to the States. We're in the States. And... Uh, we're missionaries with Calvary Chapel Saving Grace, Saving Grace World Missions. And like John said, we have four Bible colleges in South Asia. And I'm involved in the four. I have direct oversight over three of them. What I do is I arrange Calvary Chapel pastors. I'm really excited because uh, John's going to be teaching for us real soon. But I arrange Calvary Chapel pastors to teach via Skype over the internet. And it's really great because so many countries are closing to Western missionaries. And uh, so this is, they can't close the internet. I mean, they can, but until then, uh, that's what we're doing. And um, because of the sensitivity and because the service is being recorded, I can't actually tell you where we're working uh, because persecution of the church is, is real in many places in the world. Uh, the country we're working in right now is the 10th most dangerous country for uh, believers to live in right after Iran. And uh, the prime minister of the country has vowed to eradicate Christianity by this year. I used to say by 2020, but this is 2020. <laughs> He's vowed to eradicate Christianity this year. And so uh, we, we just refer to it as South Asia. Um, we don't want to jeopardize any of the believers there. We don't want to jeopardize the work there. We don't want to jeopardize our ability to go back and forth into the country. But like I said, I, I organize Calvary Chapel pastors. I teach a uh, class for one or two of the Bible colleges each semester. And uh, it's really great. <clears throat> we have local staff members that are on the ground there that I also mentor and disciple. And they, they are there to handle the day-to-day -day, uh, events of the Bible college. 
And the one main difference about our Bible college and others is that it's free to the student. We provide for all of their room and board. We provide for all of their expenses. And what we do is we pour into these, these guys and these women. And uh, in turn, they're going to be sent out into the unreached portion of the world. And literally, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's hard for me to understand that there are people that have never heard of Jesus. And these people are going out to places where they literally have never heard the name of Jesus. They have no access to the gospel. They have no access to a Christian that can share the gospel with them. Uh, they're completely uh, lost. 7.7 um, billion people in the world today, 42% of them, it's estimated, have never heard of uh, the gospel, never heard of Jesus. If you do the math, it comes out to be something like 3.3 billion people have never heard of Jesus. And so we're working in an area where a third of those have never heard. We're raising up men and women to go out and plant churches. Like John said, uh, in the last 10 years, we've um, planted over 30 churches in places since the beginning of time have never had a church. I mean, we worship publicly. They have no place to worship. They don't know who they're worshiping. 300, well, I won't get into that, 300 million gods. But um, one of the... Uh, Parts of my ministry, what I do is I take uh, pastors abroad. We take them there and um, we have them teach block classes in our colleges. We have them teach pastors conferences. Last November, uh, we held the first all Calvary Chapel ministry workers conference in South Asia. 120 people uh, attended. And the area is so large that actually they think they're the only ones. And so we brought them all together. We paid for everybody to come. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of them traveling by train four days. Can you imagine? Four days on a train to get there. And uh, boy, they were just so blessed. And our vision is to have annual pastors conferences where we take stateside pastors. We take them abroad. We have them teach and support and encourage and, and just uh, pour into these pastors and, and ministry workers that are working in a, a very difficult uh, part of the world. And our hope in taking stateside pastors abroad is to give them a global missionary, a global missions experience that will change their lives so that when they come back, they'll take that vision and they'll incorporate it into their churches. And, um, you know, the church will just ignite. One of the uh, other things that we do also is we help small churches much like Calvary Chapel Truckee uh, developed their own missions program. I got a text. I was telling some of the guys, uh, we have a team right now in Jordan because we've been working to plant the Bible college in Jordan. Two million refugees in Jordan right now. And uh, we want to reach out to those refugees and send them out with the gospel. And so we have a team there right now. And yesterday I, I got a text uh, from uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Saving Grace, Saving Grace World Missions. And uh, he texted me. He said, are you speaking in Truckee tomorrow? I said, yeah, how'd you know? And he said, well, one of our missionaries in Belize is sent out from Calvary Chapel Trucking. He said, Calvary Chapel Trucking has a history of sending out missionaries. And uh, so uh, I said, yeah, pray for us. It'll, it'll be great. We're so excited to be here. So if you're interested in any of the information, we have some information on the back table out there. I think it's by the coffee, uh, strategically placed so that uh, you'll see it. Pick it up, uh, read through it. Please pray for us. Um, so if you will, open your Bibles, please, to uh, Revelation chapter 4, and we'll pray for our time this morning. 
Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for the opportunity to, to be here, to meet corporately, to proclaim your name with no fear of a retribution, no fear of persecution. Lord, we want to we wanna come here. We want to hear your voice. We want to bless your name. Lord, so I, I pray for every heart here, Lord, that you would give us heart, a heart that's ready to receive, ears that are ready to hear, and Lord, eyes to see you, to see you glorified, to see you exalted, to get a glimpse of uh, who you are, to get a glimpse of heaven. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Bless this study today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, it's a description of heaven. <clears throat> heaven is a wonderful thing that we have to look forward to. Uh, Paul told us in Philippians that we're citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I find it interesting. There's a lot of uh, talk about heaven around us. All of our life, we've heard uh, much of this talk about heaven. For instance, when I was younger, I would do something wrong and I would hear, for heaven's sake, you know? <laughs> maybe it sounds like maybe you've heard some of that too. Uh, oftentimes when people are, are facing a real need, uh, they'll cry out, heaven help us. Um, other times uh, when you're facing uh, something that's, you know, something that's really hard that's about to happen, they don't want it to happen, they'll say, heaven forbid, right? Uh, sometimes when uh, something is really difficult, people will say, you'll have to move heaven and earth, right, to get that done. And uh, when things are really pleasurable, when you really experience a great time and you're just satisfied and content, what do you say? Oh, this is seventh heaven, right? So um, you might uh, also be familiar with the phrase when something stinks really bad. Oh, that stinks to high heavens. Oh my goodness, right? Uh, if you're a little bit older like me, you might uh, uh, have heard this phrase a bunch of times. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But heavens to Betsy. I mean, like, who is this Betsy lady anyway? Right? I never, I, ne I don't know who we're talking about. When I was a kid, I used to watch uh, Snagglepuss. Remember Snagglepuss, maybe? Hanna-Barbera, the pink mountain lion. What would he say? Heavens to Murgatroyd. Right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes when... Uh, you know, maybe you heard this when you met your wife, when you met your husband, people would say, that's a match made in heaven. Um, sometimes you hear people uh, in referring to marriages, sometimes their jobs, sometimes to something else is very difficult. Uh, you'll hear somebody say, well, it can be heaven on earth or it can be hell. It's what you make of it. Now, I love my wife. I love my family, my children. I love the ministry God has given me. But if this is heaven, it's been grossly misrepresented in my mind, right? And believe me also when I say, um, this is nothing compared to what hell is like. Uh, this, is, this is nothing. There's a lot of talk about heaven. And I think that there's also a lot of confusion about heaven. Uh, for instance, where is it? I mean, is it here? Is it up there? Uh, how far away is it? Well, I'm thankful that there's one who came from heaven, one that lived amongst us, lived a perfect life, lived a sinless life. He died in our place. He took our sins. He bore our sins at the cross. And in turn, when we place our faith in him, what does he do? He gives us his righteousness. And the reason he did that is so that one day we would be with him in heaven. 
And, and I love that thought, right? And wherever heaven is, I know it's a prayer away, right? Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, I'll read it to you. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot it down. But it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. God hears our prayers. And that's something that we can be assured of. And uh, we know that heaven's not so far away that we can't hear his voice. God speaks to us, and very often he speaks to us in that still, small voice. And uh, God is able to speak to us, and we're able to hear him from heaven, and he's able to hear us in heaven. Our God is attentive to the prayers of his people, and he communicates with his children, right? And not only that, but the Bible tells us that angels camp around uh, the children of God, the people of God. And so heaven's standing guard. This morning, we're going to take a, a look at our future home. Our home is in heaven. We're going to take a look at our future home because home is our destiny as believers. And I want, I want all believers to be aware of what's going on in heaven. Uh, I want us to know what's happening there. It's not going to be too terribly long, I think, before we're going to find ourselves in heaven. Um, Christ is coming for his church. And I personally believe and I'm convinced that it's soon. Because there's nothing, prophetically speaking, that needs to be fulfilled before we hear a voice from heaven saying, come up here and we'll find ourselves in his presence in heaven. And can't wait. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be, I mean, we can't even imagine how wonderful it is. And if you're here today, I don't know you guys, this is my first time. If it's your first time, welcome. Mine too. But if you're here today and you don't believe in heaven, or maybe you think, you know, I'm not going to heaven. Well, we're going to give you a chance by the end of this morning to uh, change all of that. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it begins with, um, after these things. Now, the book of Revelation, as you may know, is a very unique book. And the, it's unique in two ways. The first is that it is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing. If you flip a page over to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, you see that it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's the only book in the Bible, as I said, that offers this blessing. It's the only book that has the audacity to promise a blessing to those that read, to hear, and to those that keep it. The second way that the uh, book of Revelation is, is unique is it comes with its own divine outline. And that's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus tells John to write the things which you've seen. And the things that John had seen at this point was the glorified Christ. It's chapter one. And then he says, and the things which are. Chapter two and chapter three, uh, there are seven letters to the seven churches. There are seven literal churches where Jesus dictates these letters to John. And it's a prophetic outline, prophetic overview of all of church history. It's the period that we're currently living in. It's often referred to as the time of grace, the age of grace. And then he goes on and he says, and write the things which take place after this. So after what? 
after the church age is completed. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins and ends with the phrase, after these things and after this. It's like the Holy Spirit wants us to pay attention. He doesn't want us to miss this. So chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must, play, take, uh, must take place after this. John sees this door open in heaven, and he hears this voice. It's a clear, it's a crisp, it's a loud voice. It sounds like a trumpet. And he hears the voice say, come up here. And then John finds himself in heaven. Doesn't it sound a little bit familiar to you? Right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the, church, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. When the church age is over, when the things concerning the church is completed, uh, the Bible teaches us that God's gonna, Jesus is going to come for his church again. And this event, you, you know, is called the rapture. Now, the Greek word in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, that's translated caught up, is the Greek word harpazo. And we get the English word rapture from the Latin version of harpazo, which is rapturo. 19 times in chapters 1 through chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, 19 times the church is mentioned. After chapter uh, 3, the church isn't mentioned again until chapter 19. And in chapter 19, the church is presented in the picture of the bride of Christ. Revelation 4 and 5 is all about heaven. Revelation 6 through 19 is all about the tribulation the great tribulation that's going to be coming upon the earth. And the tribulation is when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. The church, you and I as believers, we're not going to be here during this time. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9. I remember those two because they're both 5.9 verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Romans 5.9. It says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath uh, to come, the wrath through him. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 and 10, Paul writes to, to those in Thessalonica who turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath of God that our sins deserves was poured out on Jesus while he was on the cross. He bore our sins. He suffered the wrath of God in our place. He's the lamb of God. He's that acceptable sacrifice for sin. It was the innocent dying for the guilty. Uh, and we are forgiven of our sins when we place our faith in him. The tribulation 
God's wrath poured out on this Christ-rejecting world starts in Revelation chapter 6, but the church is found in heaven, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. So what's heaven going to be like? I don't know. Maybe you've never wondered. I wonder about it all the time. What's it going to be like? Um, I'm convinced. I believe we'll see our loved ones who have gone on before us. Uh, I'm going to see my dad. I'm going to see my aunt, my uncle. Uh, you're going to see your loved ones who also uh, died in Christ. Um, but I don't expect to see my dad the way I saw him the last time. Feeble and weak. I don't expect to see my aunt the way I saw her last time. She's not going to be connected to an oxygen bottle. You'll see those whom you've loved who've died in Christ. And you'll see those saints that you now know who are in wheelchairs. Those that have cancer. Uh, we're going to see them in heaven, but they're going to be dancing and leaping and praising God there. It's going uh, to be glorious. There'll be no more pain. The Bible tells us there'll be no more suffering. There'll, there'll be uh, no more broken hearts. All that's going to be wiped away. And I personally, I'm certain that we'll see our friends and our families, our loved ones um, who died in Christ as the younger version of themselves. I think they'll probably be in their 20s or 30s when they were in their prime, right? So honestly, I want to encourage you to take a good look at me. When you see me in heaven, I'll have long and curly hair like I used to have. Uh, you won't be able to recognize me, but I'll say, hey, you remember me? It's Gary. I spoke at Truckee, remember? Uh, but seeing our loved ones in heaven, that's not what's going to captivate our attention. Look at verse 2, Revelation 4, verse 2. Um, and notice what captures John attention, John's attention when he's caught up into heaven. It says, verse 2, Immediately I was in, in the Spirit, and behold, a throne sat in heaven, and one sat on the throne. The very first thing that John sees and notices in heaven is a throne. Heaven is all about God. It's all about his throne. The book of Revelation mentions the word throne 45 times. Chapter 4, it's mentioned 14 times. The entire rest of the New Testament, the word is only mentioned 15 times. I mean, this chapter is all about God's throne. Uh, heaven's all about God's throne. And God, uh, John sees this throne and he sees one who's seated on the throne. John sees God upon the throne. And I want you to notice something really important, please. Um, what does he see? He sees God seated on the throne. He's not pacing about He's not uh, anxious about what's going to happen. Oh my goodness. Uh, he's not worried about how things are going to turn out. He's a picture of peace seated upon the throne. And I think it's important for us to remember we face difficulties and hardships in this life. Uh, as we look out into the world, uh, you know, we see things that they're just not right. You know, we see uh, injustices. We see abuses. We see divisions. We see um, things that are just unfair. We turn on the news in the evening, we read the paper, we're, but, well, read the paper, that shows you how old I am. But uh, we turn on the news on the internet and uh, it's, we're just bombarded with murders. We're bombarded with kidnappings and, and things like that, scandals. And if you're not careful, we can become very discouraged and downcast by these negative things that are happening around us. We, if we're not careful, uh, we can get to the place where we just say, hey, nothing matters. Why bother? You know, it's <clears throat> no one even cares. Why, why should I? 
And I, and I know when I'm faced with things that I don't understand, I need to look to heaven. I need to fall back on those things that I do understand. To know that there's one God who sits upon the throne, one who is sovereign, one who is in control, and the throne is never empty, and, and the God that sits on that throne, he never changes. And the one who sits on that throne, the one that reigns in heaven, he's the one that sent his son. He's the one who came and, and uh, shed his blood for us. God loves us, and he gave everything so that he might bring us back into a right relationship with him so that one day we would be presented faultless before his presence, uh, uh, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And we need to remember that in hard times. Now, Johnny goes on to describe what he sees in heaven. And you'd think that John would describe the appearance of the one who sits upon the throne the way maybe Hollywood would uh, want us to believe it is. You know, it's an elderly gentleman. He has a white robe, a long white beard. He looks like Morgan Freeman. Or uh, maybe if you're old enough, it looks like George Burns, right? Uh, but that's not what John sees. John, he tries to describe to us what he sees, but words fail him. He says, it's, it's like this. It's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's as this. It's as that. He tries to tell us the best he can what it is that he sees. But when it comes to the glories of heaven, language uh, just fails him, right? When Paul was caught up to heaven, you might remember, when Paul was caught up to heaven, he said that it would be a crime just to describe the things that he heard. So thankfully, John, though, he goes a little bit uh, beyond what Paul does. He tries to tell us what he sees. And verse 3, it says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. John tells us that the one that's, that he saw on the throne, it was, he was like a jasper. And we shouldn't think of a modern day jasper that can be any color between brown to yellow. No, in fact, Revelation 21, 11 tells us that the jasper is clear as crystal. So it's probably a diamond. Um, John continues and says he was like a sardius stone in appearance. Now, a sardius stone is red in color. It's what we call a ruby. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul tells us that God dwells in an unapproachable light. Psalm 104, uh, it tells us that God covers himself with light as a garment. So just try to imagine what John is seeing now. He sees a brilliant, bright, beautiful, clear, pure light speaking of holiness. He sees at the same time this blood red uh, light speaking probably of redemption, that our Lord is the, the source of redemption. And then he sees around the throne <clears throat> something like, like a rainbow in appearance, like an emerald. It looks like a rainbow, John says. It's not a rainbow because it's green like an emerald. And what I find very interesting here is that these stones were also found in the breastplate of the high priest, Ezekiel uh, 28 and 39. Each stone corresponded to one of the tribes of the, the uh, tribes of Israel, right? So the Sardius stone, it was the first stone. 
and the high priest's breastplate. And it corresponded to the tribe of Reuben. And Reuben means behold a son. The last stone was the uh, jasper and it corresponded to the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin means uh, the son of my right hand or the son of my strength. So what we have here is the first and the last. Behold my, uh, behold the son, the son of my right hand, the son of my strength. Righteousness represented in this brilliant white light. Salvation represented in this uh, blood red light. It's all about Jesus. And the emerald stone in the high priest's breastplate corresponds to the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. So John is in heaven. He sees this amazing light, pure, intense. It's incredible light everywhere. Light speaking of holiness, of salvation. And all around the throne, there's praise. And I, honestly, I can't wait to get there. Heaven is going to be so glorious. We're going to see this indescribable sight. And, and I believe it's soon. It, I, I pray it's before we leave today. Tell you the truth. It could be today. I'm ready to go. Verse 4, Revelation 4.4 4 says, Around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Commentators love to argue about who these 24 elders are. Personally, I think they represent the entirety of God's people. In 1 Chronicles uh, 24 and 25, David, he divides the priesthood up into 24 divisions. And those 24 divisions were representative of the priesthood as a whole. So I believe these 24 elders, they represent the Old Testament saints and the New Testament believers. They represent the church. And notice it says that they were clothed in white robes. Okay? Revelation 3, 6, 7, and 19. Uh, we see those who are overcomers, they're given white robes. Also, you see these 24 elders, what are they wearing? They're wearing uh, crowns of gold on their heads. Now, the Greek word translated crown there is Stephanos, and it was the crown that was given to the victor of the Olympic game, right? So it's the crown that's promised to the overcomer in Revelation 2. It's the crown, the imperishable crown that Paul speaks about um, in 1 Corinthians 9. It's the crown of righteousness that the Lord will give those that love his appearance, 2 Timothy 4. And it's the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him, James 1. And also it's the crown of glory that does not fade away that Peter talks about, 1 Peter 5. Another reason I think that uh, these 24 elders are representative of the church is because of the song that they're singing. You might turn over to Revelation 5, verses 8 and 9. We can take a look at it. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having in a harp a, and golden bowls full of incenses, incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Now this is speaking of Jesus and have redeemed us to God by your blood. So it can't be angels. 
out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So it's not Israel because Israel is uh, one people and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. And this is the promise to the church. So I see the 24 elders as representative. They're a picture of the church representing those who are overcomers. And in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 4, John continues, he says, And from the throne proceeds lightning, thunders, and voices. Now, when we lived in Germany, uh, we had this cute little house. We lived at the end of our village. Our village was so small, there wasn't uh, even a store in our village. However, it is Germany, so there was a brewery. So anyway, when we lived in Germany, our house had overlooked this small valley. We had a large window that overlooked the small, the small valley. We had thunder and lightning storms all the time. And when there was a storm at night, you know what we'd do is we would turn out the lights and we would just watch the, the lightning flashes. We would listen to the thunder. And I'm telling you, thunder and lightning storms, they're one of the most awe-inspiring things there is. The power and the noise, it helps you to realize how small you actually are. John continues, and he's speaking uh, here in verse 5. He speaks of seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit is likened to a fire in the Bible, portraying, uh, portraying the illuminating effects of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, portrayed as tongues of fire. And the seven uh, spirits of God, we read about the seven aspects, sevenfold aspects of the Holy Spirit in uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2. And seven in the Bible is representative of perfection, of completeness. For instance, seven days in a week, the, the next day, the eighth day is a new week. Uh, the week is complete. Seven colors in the rainbow, seven no notes on a scale. So here we see the fullness of the Holy Spirit is present and all that's going on here in heaven. And John continues, verse 6, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, if you're a water skier, you want to get out onto the water when it's like glass, right? I mean, as we were driving around Lake Tahoe a few nights ago, Tina and I were coming into town. I mean, it was just like glass. And, and I just saw it. I'm just like, we need a boat, that's just the way it is because you want to get out on the water when there's no ripple, when there's no wake, there's no chop. Uh, here the sea before the throne is like glass. It's completely calm. It's completely still. It's a picture of perfect peace before the throne of God. So try to imagine if you can the scene in heaven. It's very loud. It's filled with, with voices of praise, with thunders. Right? It's very brilliant, very bright. Lights flashing, pure white, deep red, a beautiful green. And it's very, very peaceful all at the same time. I mean, it's going to be great. I can't wait to get there. And it says, in the midst of the throne, John says, and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. Ezekiel 1 tells us that these living creatures are literally um living ones, they're cherubim. I always crack up when I, when I hear the word cherubim because as I said, we lived in Europe 15 years. You, you go into all these churches. Cherubim are not fat little babies with wings. 
These guys are awesome angelic creatures. Uh, and it says that they're full of eyes in front and back. And so the idea is that they see. And what comes with vision, knowledge. So these are intelligent creatures before the throne of God. Verse 7 says, The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And again, Ezekiel 1 tells us that each creature has these four faces. It would appear here in Revelation that John sees each of these four uh, creatures, but he only sees one of their faces at a time. Throughout church history, it's believed that these cherubim and their four faces are a reflection of the characteristics of Christ portrayed in the gospel, right? The face of the lion corresponds to the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is portrayed as the the king of the Jews. The face of the calf, a beast of burden, corresponds to the gospel of Mark, where he paints Jesus as a servant. Uh, The face of a man uh, corresponds with the gospel of Luke, where Luke reveals Jesus in his humanity, 100% man. And John reveals Jesus in his deity, 100% deity, uh, represented as the face of the eagle, the highest flying bird in creation. Nothing flies higher. And John continues, verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John sees and he, and he hears these cherubim worshiping the Lord. God is so glorious. He's so wonderful. He's so amazing. But the single characteristic of God that captivates their attention and causes them to worship is his holiness. Every time these cherubim look up and see God, they can't help themselves but to give God glory and honor. They can't help themselves. They just break out and worship. And they never tire of worshiping because he is so holy. When things, when these amazing creatures who are finite look upon him who is infinite, they can't help themselves. They just, they just, begin to break out and worship. And when you go through the Bible, if you're paying close attention, you'll notice that the characteristic of God that's most often uh, praised, it is his holiness. I love God's mercy. I love God's grace. I love God's love. But I pray that God would give us a greater glimpse of his glory that we would see him as he is, that we would see him in his holiness, that we would understand that. Whenever the living creatures give glory, verse 9, and honor and thanks to him who sits upon the throne, who lives forever and ever, uh, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and cast their crowns uh, before the throne. The worship of the cherubim moved the 24 elders, the representatives of the church, to worship. The fact that God is being praised in heaven and being worshiped in heaven right now, that understanding needs to move us to worship. And what does John see the church doing 
in heaven while they're worshiping. What they're doing is they're casting their crowns down before the throne. Now, the crown, it's, it's an image of sovereignty. It's a, it's a picture of those who have overcome, like we said earlier. Uh, it represents victory. It represents accomplishment. And here you see the church. You see the overcomers. They're laying down their sovereignty. They're laying down their victories, their accomplishments in an act of total surrender uh, to him who's worthy to receive praise and honor. That's what true worship is. That's what true worship looks like. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you. You created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Now, this is where I prefer the King James translation. What does it say? It says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. We were created to bring pleasure to God. We were created to please him, to bless him. Now, we please God and we bless God when we live for him. When we place our faith in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in him, and when we honor him and give him thanks, and when we obey him. In other words, when we surrender our lives completely to him. That's what pleases God. That's what blesses God. And we were created to bring glory to his name, to please him. And we will never experience fullness in this life, fulfillment in this life. We'll never find happiness, and I mean true happiness, in this life. We'll never feel complete satisfaction in this life until we accomplish that for which we were created. If you're a believer here today, the Lord wants you to know, he wants to take you deeper in, in the relationship that you have with him. He wants you to know him in the deepest, most intimate terms possible. He wants you to experience the purpose he's created you for. He wants you to experience that fulfillment and that happiness and to find that overwhelming joy that he has for you. Heaven is our destiny. And like Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul also says in Colossians that we're to, he encourages us to set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For one day very soon, we're going to see our Savior face to face. And when we see him, what we want to hear is, him say to us as well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. John said it in his first letter, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope and he's talking about the hope of heaven here. Everyone that has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, you know the biblical definition of hope, right? I mean, it's not like, I hope I get a raise this year at work. Or I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas. You know, I hope I do. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. 
That's not the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is absolute assurance of good things to come. Absolute assurance of good things to come. You know, the best thing for us, for believers, is yet to come. The idea of heaven as our destiny is to be encouraging and comforting to us. We're to look unto Jesus, to fix our eyes upon the author and finisher, uh, author and finisher of our faith, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's what he wants for us. And friends, I want to encourage you today. Let's go deeper with the Lord. Let's just commit ourselves to go deeper with the Lord. Let's enter into a more surrendered, more intimate relationship with him. It's actually what we want as believers. We want to go deeper. We're asking God to take us deeper. Let's commit ourselves to this. Let's give ourselves over to bringing him glory and pleasure. He's deserving of all of our praise. He's deserving of all of our trust. He's deserving of all that we are. And I pray eternity will always be in our sight, that our, our eyes will always be fixed on the prize. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not confident that should you die, you would go to heaven. Um, you're not confident that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hey, guess what? Heaven is just a prayer away. Let me read this verse to you, Romans 10, 8 through 13. It says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believe on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek from uh, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The God of the Bible is infinite. The one who's been uh, that we've been looking at in this chapter is the one true and living God. There is no God like our God. There is no love like the love of our God. Uh, there's no power like his power. There's no grace like his grace. There's no mercy and forgiveness offered like the mercy and forgiveness of our God. There's no one like him. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, I would just ask you personally, what's holding you back? What are you waiting for? Today's the day of salvation. If you'd like to know God, or you'd like to come into a right relationship with him, uh, he's made a way for you, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that you're saved, you know what, let's talk after the service. Uh, grab Pastor John, get one of the elders. You know, let's, let's, you know, talk about it. Let's settle the issue of salvation today. Today is the salvation day of salvation, uh, each of us would love to talk to you. I encourage you, give your heart to Christ and be a citizen of heaven. Let's pray. 
Lord, I just thank you so much for your, your grace and goodness, Lord. And I thank you for this little glimpse of heaven that we've seen today. Lord, I thank you that that's our destiny as believers. Lord, I just pray for those that may be here that don't know you, Lord. I pray that you would be speaking to their heart right now. That they would understand that they don't have that assurance, that they can have the assurance of heaven if they would just turn to you. Lord, we love you. We want to give you praise and glory. We want to bless your name. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. I thank you for this church. I pray you bless this church, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.